Our scripture text this morning is from the book of Hebrews that comes to us as found in our New Testament at the end of Paul's letters. And it was put there because it was believed as they were putting together the canon, the order of books in the Bible, that it was one of Paul's letters. Most scholars now agree, however, that it is not. Uh, the book itself never claims that it was written by Paul, and it's not written like a letter. Most likely, it was a sermon, a sermon that was so important that it gained circulation amongst all the churches in Rome. The themes of this sermon center on Jesus, the various ways that we can know Jesus, that we can understand Jesus. And just prior to where we pick up the sermon, the preacher talks about faith and defines what it is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And he then goes on to list several examples, people of great faith, people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses, other Israelite heroes. Talks about Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, the prophets, and he talks about their faith about how they lived, how they tried with their lives to please God. And then he also speaks of Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. But what we'll need to know this morning, what I want you to notice is that his climax is not with Jesus, but with you and me. Hear this word now from the book of Hebrews. Our scripture reading today is from Hebrews 12, chapters 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of God for the people of God. We are surrounded, he said, by a cloud of witnesses. It was 1873, about 150 years ago next year, in a little town called Thorpe Spring, Texas, there was a stagecoach stop on the cattle frontier about 40 miles southwest of here. And on the first Monday of September, 1873, Addison and Randolph Clark, a couple of disciples ministers, opened up a school. It was the Adran Male and Female College. Adran, Addison, and Randolph. There were 13 students on that first day. But yet within a year, enrollment reached 75 men and women. And within five years, enrollment reached 450 students. And within five years, the Clarks and their spouses, they sold everything that they owned in order to invest in a larger building for their school. Despite this, however, they still struggled. Enrollment sort of capped there. It hovered right around the 400 uh, mark, and, and never were they able to match income with expenditures. 
And so in 1895, they decided to say goodbye to Thorpe Spring and move the school to Waco, just a few miles from Baylor University. Now, in both Thorpe Spring and also in Baylor, they were on the outskirts of town, too too far in order to walk in to a church downtown. And so the school, from the very beginning, formed a university church. They would meet in the chapel, and it was primarily students and faculty and staff. But not only that, people from around the community would come and gather as well. People from ranches and farms around, they would come. Leading ministers from all over the state of Texas would come and preach there Sunday after Sunday. In 1909, the university trustees voted to help underwrite the salary of a full-time pastor for this budding congregation. And Colby D. Hall, as I like to say, the patron saint of freshman girls, (laughs) Colby D. Hall was called to serve. Now, some of us know what happened next. It was 1910, and there was this mysterious fire that destroyed the campus. And that school, now known as Texas Christian University, and that church moved here to Fort Worth just a few miles away from Hell's Half Acre. In 1917, that church officially organized itself and had 60 charter members. Walter P. Jennings was called as the pastor, and within a year, that church had grown from those 60 charter members to 235 members still meeting on campus. But behind the scenes, plans were being made for a beautiful Gothic-style church to be built, and they started raising funds, which proved to be difficult, as you can imagine, in that plummeting economy. In 1925... TCU donated the land at the northwest corner of University Drive and Canty and gave it to University Christian Church, the church that has now been called University Christian Church. The letterhead of that church read, the spiritual life is the soul and salvation of a university. In April 2nd of 1929, there was a groundbreaking ceremony that took place for the foundation of that Gothic-style church, and it included people like Colby D. Hall, who was now the dean of the faculty at Bright Divinity School across the street, uh, Preston Gray, who was then the senior minister, and E.M. Waits, who was the president of TCU. All of them stuck their foot on a shovel and began to dig Over the next couple of years, however, the Great Depression took hold of the nation. The design of the building was changed from a Gothic to a simpler, less expensive, Romanesque-style building that we now know and love. On March 5th, 1933, there was a ceremony that was held that was laying the foundation, laying the cornerstone of this building. And the history books say that that this occasion was more gladsome than elaborate. Now keep in mind that this was March 5th, and President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, it was his first day in office, and so he called together the Congress, and in order to combat the oncoming Great Depression, recommended that every bank in the United States be closed the following day. 
But yet, in spite of that great uncertainty at this time in our country, the leaders of University Christian Church, they they stepped out in faith and they committed to a brave vision, a brave vision that has blessed generations of believers who have gathered for worship in this sacred space. Later that year, in 1933, a recent bright graduate by the name of Perry Gresham was called as the senior minister. He was said to be a a dynamic preacher, and over the next several years, membership grew to 700 members. Now, lest too much credit be given to Reverend Gresham, I've read that much of the growth can be attributed to his wife, who served not just as the pastor's wife, but, and I quote, generously and expertly as the church's secretary. I don't know what she did to grow the church as the secretary, but it must have been important. Now, in 1940, Reverend Gresham was granted an eight-month leave to do graduate work at Columbia University. And in his in his absence, a young TCU professor by the name of Granville Walker filled in for the preaching duties. His preaching left quite an impression on the congregation who was unaware at the time that, that soon, soon he would be called to a lifetime of service to University Christian Church. And with his wife, Erlene, by his side, Granville began his ministry here in 1943, and that ministry would last until 1973, 30 years. And in that 30 years, the church thrived. It grew to become the flagship church of the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, known all over the nation. I suspect that if I were to ask this morning, who here this morning was either dedicated or baptized or married or had Granville preside at the memorial service of someone you loved, my guess is that many, many hands would be raised in that moment. His reach, his influence on this congregation is impossible to measure. My favorite story about Granville Walker took place in 1963 when he was asked to offer the prayer at the Chamber of Commerce breakfast that was held downtown, downtown Fort Worth at the Hotel Texas, at which President John F. Kennedy would make his last public appearance, his last public remarks before going to Dallas where he would be shot in that fateful motorcade. Now, at that breakfast, The mayor of Fort Worth, a gentleman by the name of Baird Freeman, whose wife Corky was a member, a beloved member of this church until just a couple of years ago when she died. All of the dignitaries were sitting at the head table, and Mayor Friedman named each and every one of them and told about their role, told what they did. This is so-and-so and so-and-so. He is the president of Justin Boots, and here is so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, and they are the CEO of General Dynamics which probably didn't exist at that time, but go with me. (laughs) Every single one he would lame, list, and introduce. But when he got to the end, the person sitting at the end of the table, he simply said, and of course, Dr. Walker. Now, when I first heard that story, I was a little upset. He didn't introduce him as the senior minister of University Christian Church. That would have been great publicity. But it was Newell Williams who told me this story, and he said, Russ, no, you're missing the point. 
1963, Granville Walker needed no introduction in the city of Fort Worth. Everyone knew who he was and where he served. It was during his ministry, too, that the church building would expand, not just once, but several times, and the bell tower would be built, along with the education wing, the chapel, the sanctuary was expanded, the stained glass windows were created. During the 1950s, a gentleman by the name of Ralph Stone was called to be the the minister of students and youth, and there was a congregation of 600 discipled TCU students that would gather here every Sunday evening. There was, in 1957, a money-raising campaign for the organ. And it was said that the interest and the support was so strong and so widespread that the children would come and empty their piggy banks on Commitment Sunday. The organ was installed the next year. In 1966, the sanctuary was expanded once again, and Judy Olfke Smith designed and painted 31 additional stained glass windows that were installed just in time for Easter of 1968. It was in 1974, following Granville's retirement, that Albert Pennybacker was called to be senior minister. As Shannon mentioned, Penny died this last week. He served this congregation until 1990. Sixteen years he served faithfully and lovingly. And it was Penny and Ralph Stone that envisioned and initiated the Boar's Head and Yule Log Festival. And it was also at that time that Ron Shirey, who was the choral director at TCU, was invited to come and to direct the choir. I could go on and on. I could go on and on, and I haven't even mentioned people like Charles Dowell or Jan Miller, who died this last year, uh, the first woman to serve as the chair of the Board of Trustees. I haven't mentioned Gilbert Davis or Bill Tucker, whose life we celebrated this last week. I haven't mentioned Ron Flowers or Larry Allen. I haven't mentioned the countless others that have blessed this congregation over the years. You see, this church has an incredibly rich history filled with an amazing cloud of witnesses. And they have shown us with their lives what it means to be people of faith. They have showed us that we are all children of God, that we are each, each of us loved as if we're the only ones on earth to be loved. They have shown for us what it means to be people of faith. Some years ago, at Columbia University, Their football coach, a gentleman by the name of Lou Little, had a walk-on on his team. He showed up on the first day of practice, and he was small, undersized. He was a little slow, didn't have a whole lot of talent. But he played with an intensity, with an enthusiasm, with an excitement. He worked harder than any scholarship athlete that he had. Coach Little knew that even though he probably couldn't play him very often, that he needed him on his team in order to help build the sense of team, to show as an example of what it means to work hard, to play with heart as much as with talent. As the season went on, Coach Little developed a a great affinity and affection and admiration for this young man. And one of the things that he noticed is that when his father would come to campus, that the two of them would walk all over campus arm in arm. 
He and his father obviously had a very special bond. And then one day late in the season, Coach Little got a phone call. It was from the boy's father, explaining that his father had died. And Coach Little was the one that was to tell him and to give him the news of his father's death. When the boy got back to campus after this dad's funeral, Coach Little said to him, is there anything I can do, anything at all, just name it. And this young man said, yes, you can let me start on Saturday. Now here's what you need to know, that this was the final most important game of the season. I think they were 8-0. And a championship, a conference championship hung in the balance. The coach now was in a real bind. What was he going to do? But he decided, he decided that what he'll do is he'll, he'll let him start and play for a couple plays and then pull him out. As you can imagine, the rest of the team was shocked and surprised. This guy hadn't seen the field all season, and yet there he was in the starting lineup. What gives with that, coach? Well... To everyone's surprise, the boy went on to play inspired football, play after play, and he ended up leading the team not only in tackles, but also in yards gained. He was the MVP, the most valuable player on the team that day. After the game, they gathered together in the locker room, and Coach Little pulled the young man aside and said, what got into you today? And the boy said, do you remember how my father used to visit? And we would walk around arm in arm all over campus. He said, the reason we did that, and it's a secret that nobody else knows, but the reason that we did that is that my father was blind. And the reason I played so good today, coach, is because it was the first time he ever saw me play. This congregation has a rich history of reaching out, of welcoming the stranger, of proclaiming the unconditional love of God for all people. And for nearly 150 years, this congregation has been a light to Thorpe Spring, to Waco, to Fort Worth. We have been a people of welcome, radical hospitality. In church, now more than ever, the world needs your light this city now more than ever needs people. It needs a, a place where they can encounter the love, the goodness, the generosity of God. It's important for us to remember that we are here today because of the faith, the generosity of those people that went before us. Because here's the thing, everything that we have as a congregation, everything that we sit in and enjoy and appreciate, all of it was paid for by someone else. There is, as that sermon to the Hebrews would say, a race that is set before us. There are challenges that, are, that we need to face. But we would do well to remember that we do not do it alone. Over the years, there have been countless people, this great cloud of witnesses that have built this church, that have created this incredible, this remarkable community of faith. And here's the thing, like that young boy's dad, they are watching us. They are watching us to see what we will do with the foundation that they led. 
the examples that they set. And today, it's our turn. It's our turn to live out the lessons that they taught us with their lives, to carry on the incredible ministry that they began, to extend the extravagant welcome that they provided to us. Church, today, it's our turn.
They have run the race and finished well. It is now our turn. We are responding. We continue to respond to that call. And the very next scripture, the very next verse in that Hebrews passage says, now stay focused on Jesus who designed and perfected our faith. The cloud of witnesses upon whose shoulders we stand, always focused on Jesus, on that call that we are loved and that we are called to share Christ's love in the world in all the ways that our gifts that we have been created to give, in all of those ways that we can share God's love. We continue to do that, just as those who came before us have done. And we also gather around this table, as so many before have done, gathering to, to come together in one, to join with the spirit that is already working the world, to continue to share God's love. We're reminded that on the night that Jesus gathered with his disciples, he took the bread, he blessed it and broke it for them, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat, and when you do so, remember me. The same way he took the cup and blessed it and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Take and drink, and when you do so, remember me. Let us pray. Sharing the bread and cup reminds us that God came to us in flesh in the person of Jesus. Through his guiding spirit in our lives, we are taught to love and serve others and seek justice for all. Amen. <laughs> 